Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. We're going all bombers on this one. We'll talk with Derek Taylor as we're getting closer to the Blue Bombers preseason opener in Edmonton. And we'll go to Edmonton as well to talk to Dave Campbell, color analyst on 630 Ched. That's all coming up on the podcast. Check in for our nightly training camp report with Derek Taylor for Stars Air Ambulance, caring for Manitobans when and where you need us most. Derek, how's the prep going for you for Saturday's preseason game? Oh, it's it's good. I am currently updating my depth chart to uh, try to anticipate what the Bombers will be doing in game one. They, they won't. Uh, they usually just give out a roster. They don't give out a, a formal depth chart in the preseason. So I, I, I'm guessing they'll keep doing that this season. So uh, it's up to me to kind of figure out, OK, well, who's going to be where and when and why? So uh, I'm brushing up on my uh, Drew Richmond's and such. When do you leave for Edmonton? Uh, tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, fly there, get there in the afternoon, talk to our cohort at 6.30, Ched Morley Scott, about what the Elks look like and what they're expected to do in their home preseason game, give them the lowdown of the Bombers, and and then we roll Saturday afternoon. What a time for football. You sit outside. It's, what, 31 degrees? You, you're saying it was going to be ridiculous on the weekend? Yeah, it's going to be hot. Outside. Yeah, radio outside, hot, uh, run a hose just so you can run through it during commercials and stuff, and and yeah, be ready for some football. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess you'll be joining us uh, live from Edmonton then tomorrow night. So your take on, we've heard from Mike O'Shea already earlier in the show and a couple of the interviews you did today. Just your take on what you expect to see Saturday. Um, competition at defensive back, competition at defensive tackle, some linebackers who are trying to show that they can uh, contribute on special teams and be, uh, you know, be a part of this team. You know, we need somebody to fill in for, uh, Kyrie Wilson for at least six games and then uh, receivers two fingers crossed stay healthy he said he's taken four quarterbacks I really I I really can't imagine Zach Kolaris getting reps because uh, I just I just don't feel like that's the play that most teams make and then uh, we'll get a chance to see if there's perhaps uh, an American running back who can stick around because I would 100% not expect Brady Oliveira to travel so that would bring Johnny Augustine, Jordan Salima, Vance Barnes uh, into play. So I wonder if one of those two Americans that I mentioned there uh, could stick around. So there's a lot of depth spots to fill out and then special team spots. Hey, who can uh, who's going to be the punter for 2023? But uh, as it is when you win 15 games, there's not a lot within the starting lineup that's up for grabs. Saw that Jonathan Rosary uh, was transferred to the retired list today. He was a, a, a running back. That was brought in. Uh, do you know anything more about that? Because that was after y'all left the the grounds today, right? Yeah. So Rosary was one of their picks in the uh, in the draft this year, right? He was their seventh round pick in the draft this year. I don't remember. Whenever I saw forty two, it was he was on the sidelines. So uh, I don't think he participated much in camp or got much of a chance to participate in camp. So yeah, uh, whether he's decided that football, you know, pro football isn't his path or it's a, it's a thing where, okay, well, we'll try again next year. Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure, but yeah, uh, Rosary hadn't, hadn't really had the opportunity to participate. So uh, not a surprise that, uh, not a, not 100% surprised that this happens. So if there was a bit of news out of what Mike O'Shea told us today about the plans for kickers, it's that Sergio Castillo and Mark Leggio are not making the trip. What do you read into that? Well... So this is just me. This, this isn't me 
telling anything that's going to happen. It, it kind of tells me that Mark Leggio's out of the job, out of the running to be the kicker. I just, I can't imagine. You want to see these three guys that you haven't seen a game before. You know Leggio, you know Sergio Castillo, but just with what we've seen at practice the last few days and then this, I feel like Leggio's not in the running to be the kicker this season. I, to me, when we were debating this among ourselves in the, the press while we watched practice, could Chandler Staten win that job from Sergio Castillo? And I I don't know how you do that. I don't know what you could possibly see from a rookie in training camp that could outdo what Sergio Castillo has done over multiple years uh, in the CFL. He's one of the best kickers over expectation in the CFL going. Like, you know, you line him up for a 42-yarder, he's going to hit it more often than the average kicker. 50-yarder, more often than the average kicker. He's good. So I just – I feel like that's his – uh, after this, you know, Shannon and Schmitz, the, the two punters, the two global punters, uh, they'll both get a look how much of each depends on offense and how it's going. Uh, but, yeah, I kind of take away that that Legio is, is either going to be the punter or not on the roster on a regular basis, at least. So this is a big opportunity then for Schmitz and, and Sheehan. As we, and we heard today O'Shea saying, how often you get a kick? Well, just when when we kick right i mean that's part of football yeah. you're not going to go out of your way to punt the football it's it's a game situation where you might have four you might have 10 who knows yeah last year in the preseason we saw some things uh th- those are my first games calling bomber games right and and you saw some very unlike uh coach o'shea things like third and three they would go for they would go for it and it, his point afterward was I don't really need to see Mark Leggio or Ali Mortada kick a 22-yard field goal. Like, that's that's pretty set, so we're going to try some other stuff. He's got the kind of the inverse of that of, hey, we do want to see these guys kick against a team that's trying to get you, but we also need to know if we've got a quarterback who can convert third and one and third and two and things like that. So it's, it's interesting. They've got to work. They've only got two games, but they've got to work on both. Last year, they only had to work on their short yardage offense because they felt they knew what their kickers were all about. But this year, uh, there's quite a bit to work on. As my uh, as my dog Penny uh, is cheering for the Bombers over here, I think. Oh man. Okay, so first of all, we haven't heard Penny in any of these preseason reports before. Tell us more about your sidekick. Penny is a seven month old. She's seven months old at the end of the year. She's currently biting her tail and back leg as she rolls over onto her back because she doesn't really know why she's frustrated with herself. Uh, she gets these. She's great at – I think anybody who, who has pets will appreciate this. When you're walking down the stairs, she likes to run through your legs or stand right in front of you. Of course. Causing you to potentially fall down 10 stairs and, and kill yourself. So we're, we're working with her on that part, the imminent death to humans part. But she is a big sweetie. And what kind of dog? She's a Border Collie. So we oh, have yeah. a – we lost one of our border collies in the off season, so now we have a uh, thirteen and a half year old border collie and a seven month old border collie who, just like the old Looney Tunes cartoon, just bounces around the big one. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Can we go over here? Where are you going? Okay, I'm going to go with you. It's just it's it's incredible to watch. And does the older one have a lot to do with the younger one, or is it just a toleration at this point? It's honestly, I think they're kind of becoming buddies. The, uh-huh. She wasn't buddies with her with her sister, who she was born with. She kind of wanted nothing to do with her. But this one, she'll she'll bark at her and she'll snap and play her little reindeer games. But uh, yeah, she Ruby, our older one, is kind of walks to the beat of her own drum. Let's say. Well, that's good to know. We've got some uh, some pets in the house there. Now that I'm doing the show from uh, from the studio, I don't have dogs and cat and 
well, there's a lizard too around uh, when I'm doing the show in Selkirk. The lizard doesn't get out because that would be bad for the lizard. Uh, back to football because that's what you're on the, the show to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk to Dave Campbell later on in the show about the Elks side of things. But from your perspective, how hard is it to prepare for a play-by-play gig of a road preseason team coached by Chris Jones? Oh yeah, pretty bad, pretty bad. Um, at least it's at least it's their home game. Uh, last year when the Elks came here, it was just a mishmash of oh, Jamin Pelly, the star defensive tackle that you took in the second round of the supplemental draft. He's lined up on offense. Okay, well that's confusing, and then try to figure it out. At least we'll get some of the first team. Like there may be uh, maybe these will be the snaps for Taylor Cornelius, their quarterback, Gina Lewis, their big money wide receiver, and, and the sort of receivers that I'm uh, familiar with, maybe Kevin Brown, their possible burgeoning star running back, gets some carries. So th- it'll be this one will be okay because I've got a pretty good handle on what the Bombers guys all kind of look like when you stare at them for 12 days. You go, okay, that's 38, and that's what 35 looks like. You can keep them apart. But uh, it, it's going to be third and fourth quarter. Uh, Doug and I will be challenged. Let's say that for sure. We heard your conversation with Abu Durami Soiree earlier in the show. You were gushing over the play he made. Oh. Uh, f- first of oh. all, take us through it, and just is that the kind of play that can not win you a job, but certainly get you close to it? Well, it's it's certainly the one that will make us remember you. Any fan who was there will will remember. So they're doing their offense versus defense 12-on-12 12 12 drill. And Dur- Durami Soiree has been the cornerback on the short side. And just a, a standard route, uh, I'm trying to think, it looked like uh, just a, a standard go route in, into the end zone. And Durami Soiree was behind, I believe he said it was Braxton Westfield. Uh, he, was, he was in behind him. I thought, oh, that's trouble. Uh, but Durami Soiree, as the ball arrives, jumps, taps the ball up in the air, taps it again, then taps it a third time, tapping it away from Westfield and back toward the field of play where he then grabs it and then gets on his horse and races down the field. And I thought, I don't, three taps? And every one of them seemed to be under great control. But to tap it to yourself three times and get away clean, I was just, my mind was blown. I was going to talk to Durami Soiree Anyway, just about, hey, your opportunity in this game and your football path. But then he makes this play in practice, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is this is unbelievable. That's a, that's easily like a top three play in practice. Combine that with two that uh, that Carlton Agadosi has made and, and Durami Soiree. You make one of those in the game with the nation watching and listening, it's going to be uh, – people are going to be rooting for you for sure. Is there any film footage of this happening? Uh, I don't believe so. Uh, there, there would be in some fashion, right? Cause they're, the bombers are, are shooting all this stuff for themselves. Uh, I was doing a hit for WinnipegBlueBombers.com, And I said, okay, oh, did you guys get that? And they seem to say that their media folks didn't, the coaching staff will have that and be able to, uh, to rave over it. I, I hope, uh, because it was, it was pretty good. Like just, just think of that. Like tap, tap, tap is obviously impressive, but it was the presence of mind to go, I'm kind of beat. This guy's a little bigger than me. I'm going to go around him. And then I'm going to open to get it over here. Oh, keep it alive. And something good will happen. And, and it did. It was just, it was super impressive. And again, no idea how he did on the other 50, 15 routes he covered, but that one was great. Right. And that's ultimately what's more important is how, what do you do for the rest of them? And the coaching staff will, will know oh. that. But 
looking at what happens now after the preseason game, and obviously we'll we'll talk about this tomorrow and next week too, but how many players after this game are released? So I do not believe they're obliged to cut anybody after this game. They'll have to get down to their final roster after the next game. But as I'm trying to, uh, I'm just trying to pull it up as we talk, I believe that last year after the first preseason game, there were some cuts where, you know, the, you could see the coaching staff going, okay, we know that, that this guy's probably is not going to be with us. So we, we can move him on to his other opportunities. We can narrow our focus to the guys that we think might have, might be here. But, uh, you're not obliged. That's correct. Penny. Uh, you're not obliged to make any cuts as best I know after this game, it'll be, the Saturday after the Friday preseason game at home against the Riders, that cuts will have to come in. Okay, so it's not necessarily this is the last chance you'll get to make an impression, but it's definitely the best chance to make an impression. Well, it's it's let's say it's your first chance. Like you you really this is going to be this is always different than doing it in in practice, right? Because in practice, you know, guys are they're going full speed, but it's not a totally full speed because they're not always padded up. Uh, this is one where, you know, yards are going to feel a little different when you're giving them up or, or getting them, right? So this, I think that as Coach O'Shea said yesterday, it, it's, or perhaps it was today, it's it's another piece of data in the equation. And to me, it just strikes me as uh, if you can do it at full speed in, in a game situation and be in the right place at the right time where you're supposed to be and be communicating with your teammates, the coaches are going to look more favorably on that than, uh, a random set of 12 on 12 that you did Tuesday Tuesday afternoon, right? Just because it is a game and the other team's trying to get you. So, yeah, it's uh, I think it's it's going to be a big deal for for guys who are, I mean, on the fringe of getting cut and guys who are on the fringe of, oh, I might be able to squeak into the starting lineup, actually. Finally, I know you're a basketball guy. Do you think the Celtics can rally from 3-0 down to win uh, this series? They are currently up 23-10 on the Heat in game five here. What is it like? Oh, and 147 or something it's like that. Never oh. happened. It's barely like teams out don't even get to game seven in the NBA when they fall down 3 0. Yeah. And the one thing that's different, right, is that Boston is a, is a one seed. It was unbelievable this year. And Miami. Two seed. Two seed, pardon me. And Miami was the eighth seed and needed the second play in game to get there, right? Like they they lost that. They lost a seven eight game, if I'm not mistaken, and barely got into the playoffs. So I'm we don't see many. 3-0 deficits like this one. So in my Boston can do it, but uh, if you had a stun gun on Jimmy Butler and you could take him out of play, that'd be that'd be pretty great. That might be your best chance. Uh, it's it's like you said, never happened before, but Boston's got a chance. All right, there you go. You heard it from Derek Taylor first. They've got a chance. We'll uh, let you go on that. Say hi to the dogs, and we'll have you on again tomorrow. Thank you, brother. Derek Taylor, the voice of the Bombers, joining us as he does every night during training camp here. Tomorrow, the team flies out. Saturday, the team plays its first preseason game. That team, the Blue Bombers, the opponent, the Edmonton Elks, and the man calling the action on our sister station, 630 Chad. Color analyst Dave Campbell joins us on the show. Dave, how are things in Edmonton tonight? Uh, Things are good. Uh, We've been dealing with a lot of the wildfire uh, smoke uh, over uh, the last uh, I'd say couple weeks maybe even more and uh, well it's been it's been a good week we've had consecutive days where we don't have to you know we we don't have that issue uh, 
air quality has been good, and uh, it'll be good on Saturday when uh, the Elks and Bombers play at Commonwealth. So from the just from the off season this year, the Elks obviously last year weren't very good. How have things changed in terms of the expectations for the Elks going into 2023? Yeah, I, I think the expectations are they're going to be a better football team. I think based on a couple of things, I think one, is it's obvious that the, uh, the, the core of the team uh, got uh, a major boost when you sign a Eugene Lewis, who was the East Division nominee for most outstanding player, third in the league in receiving yards and touchdowns, second in receptions. Uh, that, I think, makes the offense stand taller. You add a Stephen Dunbar, who uh, was a thousand-yard receiver last year, and kind of that big play threat. I think someone that's going to, you know, kind of be what they're missing without Kenny Lawler in their lineup. That I think Dunbar can can fill that void, and then Tyron Moore comes in uh, as a return specialist and someone that can be used in the offense. And then, yeah, a more uh, I say more veteran savvy in the uh, secondary with Lucius Purefoy and then with AC Leonard. And then I think uh, to begin with, uh, I'm kind of going backwards here, but you know, those pieces were brought in around a core or mixed within a core that I think was identified uh, by Chris Jones, head coach and GM, and Roy Simon, the assistant GM, uh, at the end of 2022. If there was anything good to come out of 2022 in a very bad year is that they recognized that, you know, look, we do have a core with Taylor Cornelius at quarterback and Kevin Brown at running back and with Dylan Mitchell at receiver and Jake Ceresna and at, at defensive tackle and Miles Morgan and Enoch McConzo and Ed Ganey, uh, you know, and, and, and some other players as well. So uh, I think it's a combination that they, they feel they have some familiarity with the, with the group coming back and 16 of the 24 starters from last year should be back. And then you mix in some new starters as well that have a lot of clout and uh, pedigree in this league. And I think uh, arrows should be up for this team. Just, just how far up will they go? That's the question. On the topic of Taylor Cornelius, obviously the CFL is a quarterback driven league. If you don't have a good one, it's tough to win. What are the expectations for him this year after what was a bit of a volatile year in 2022? Yeah, I, I thought we saw a little bit of a step forward. Uh, and I know Derek Taylor is a big fan of Taylor Cornelius. Oh, a huge fan. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to DT about that on Saturday. Um, but, you know, I, I think he did take a, a step forward, even though I do think he's got to take more steps. And um, it's interesting because Chris Jones is really big on analytics and they go back in in time in recent history to, to see kind of how things um, you know, how, how things correlate, you know, see patterns. And Chris Jones has brought up the third year of a, of a, of a quarterback's year is very important as a starter. And he has seen growth from Zach Caleros in his third year. He's seen growth from Mike Riley in his third year. And he's seen, you know, he expects to see the same thing from Taylor Cornelius. Now, the, the, the one difference is, is Taylor Cornelius has started in each of his three years. I, he hasn't started the equivalent of a full season in each of those years. But, um, he, you know, I, I think there's some differences here that Taylor Cornelius has come to training camp under the same head coach, under the same offensive system, the same offensive coordinator. And I think he's got the confidence of the coaching staff. And we've got to remember this too. 
Taylor Cornelius came in under Brock Sunderland, who was this head, the head coach, and Jamie Elizondo, the head, or sorry, the GM, uh, Jamie Elizondo, the head coach, and Cornelius and Elizondo had a history in the XFL. And he, when everyone was let go, and Chris Jones and staff were brought in, they looked at Cornelius and went, "Wow, we like this guy." And now last year he sat for the first five games, and then once he took the ball in week six. Um, he, he never lost it and, and, you know, until the last week of the season when he had that ruptured spleen. Uh, here's the thing with Taylor Cornelius from what I see. I see a much more relaxed person and someone that is just kind of, you know, he's not so wound up. And I think that has helped. Now, two things that have to happen on the field. One, his interceptions have to go down. Two, his completion percentage has to go up. And it has to go way up because it's around. It was around 58, I think, last year. If he can get that to within, you know, to around 66 to 68 percent, I think he's going to be a much better quarterback. And if you look, Christian, what he has around him, you know, he can be a point guard now. He doesn't have to go out and push the ball downfield like Mike Riley did a lot. He was good at doing that. Uh, you know, I think Taylor Cornelius has that attribute, but I don't think that's best suited for him. Uh, as as far as, you know, kind of a weapon in his arsenal. I think he has it, but I think he's better suited to, to spread the ball around the field and with the weapons he has, and I think this is a great opportunity for him to do that. So this is going to be the second preseason game for Edmonton. They yeah. played Calgary on Monday. Uh, if you try to find box score stats on CFL.ca, you're not going to find them. Uh, which is which is awesome for those trying to prepare for this game. But uh, what what happened in that game? What did you learn? Well, uh, you know, like you said, a lot of, a lot of starters uh, not playing in that game, and there's a lot of hopefuls in the game. And you know, if you were the uh, offensive line of the Edmonton Elks, that's pretty much the only group where you could find where they had the regular starters, just to give uh, Kyle Loxley and uh, Jarrett Dagey. Uh, you know, the, the best look. I'll start with the quarterbacks. I thought Jared Daigie looked good uh, in the short time that he played. You know, he was 11 of 1,435 yards passing, one touchdown, didn't play after the second quarter because uh, he suffered an injury, which may put his status in jeopardy for Saturday because I'm sure if he was healthy, he would get another look in the second half. I thought Loxley uh, was okay in the first quarter, but then came back in the fourth quarter and was, was much better and 15 of 22 for 158 yards and, and a touchdown. And, you know, he's not going to be the, the first string or second string. He's going to be the short yard quarterback who's, you know, got an ability to get on the field because he has, you know, a, a history last year of being a receiver. And you can play two quarterbacks on the field uh, in, in the CFL, of course, with the rules. Um, Shannon Brown was someone who was impressive to me. And we know uh, uh, Kevin Brown is going to be the. Uh, the, uh, or sorry, Shannon Brooks. Uh, Kevin Brown's going to be the starter, but Shannon Brooks had a really good game, six and a half yard average. Uh, definitely can be a hammer out there. And then Maurice French, uh, two F's, one one capitalized F, one small F, but it's pronounced French. Uh, he played really, really well with uh, ten catches for uh, uh, almost 120 yards and a touchdown. He was really noticeable. Uh, you know, defensively, I thought there was some good moments in the game in the first three quarters. Things kind of fell apart in the fourth quarter, which kind of mirrored last year a lot. But what I like, Christian, is for the first three quarters, I thought the best attribute uh, from these Elks is that when a negative play happened, another one didn't happen. You know, and last year they had runs of negative plays and they would give up a run of points 
and they would find themselves in the hole. You know, they would give up 10 points quickly or 14 points quickly or 20 points quickly. That didn't happen. Now, when you got deeper into the game and into the fourth quarter and you get more into your depth, uh, I didn't think their depth played very, uh, very well, especially on defense and special teams. Question about the kicking game. Uh, were you surprised to see Sergio Castillo let go? Uh, you know, I was, and, you know, try to understand football business, right? It's, it's, it's confusing sometimes. You know, the word is that Chris Jones approached Sergio Castillo and said, look, Sergio, would you take a pay cut? And Sergio said no. And he's well within his rights to do that. And Chris Jones tried to trade him. Well, to, and, and the Bombers were very interested, but uh, that didn't happen. So he had to end up, end up releasing him. It, you know, it was hard. Uh, because he, I thought he had a good year last year after, and I'm going to put a little kind of asterisk on this a little bit, not not to disparage Sergio, because I thought he had a really good year. Um, they had trouble finding a holder that he was comfortable with. And when they traded for John Ryan uh, late in July, he became the holder. As Castillo was uh, 90% the rest of the way. If he can find that formula with the, the current holder, whoever that's going to be now, uh, in Winnipeg, I think, you, you know, obviously you're going to be very happy uh, in Winnipeg, uh, the, the fans and the media. Now, you know about Sergio because he was five for five in the Grey Cup in 21. So uh, he's very good. But, you know, for the Elks, it creates a problem because they don't really have a bona fide kicker now. Although Dean Faithful seems to be in the lead. And, you know, when, when he went second overall in the global draft and people look, wait a minute, he's 36 years old. And it was like the oldest player to play Division Two in the United States at 34. Huh? Why are you drafting this guy? Because apparently he can kick. He was three for four in Calgary, and he would have been four for four if there wasn't a little bit of an issue with, with his holder. Um, but right now he's in the lead uh, to, to be the, the field goal kicker. So, But it was hard to see Sergio go. It did kind of clear up one problem because they need a global on their roster because everyone needs to have a, in the CFL one global. So if they kept Castillo, you're almost running into the issue of having one American, one Canadian, and one global. Uh, so you're, you're dressing three kickers, right? So that kind of cleared up that problem. But it, it's, it's hard to see Sergio Castillo go. He's such a good, good quality person, and he's an excellent player. Has Chris Jones indicated how many regulars are going to play on Saturday? Yeah, I think every starter that is that is healthy is going to is going to play, and that's just because it's the second preseason game and they're at home. But they don't play for two weeks, right? Their, their next game isn't until June 11th, the home opener against the Riders. So the the first team is uh, offense, defense will play. How long they will play will be interesting, uh, and I think that's uh, that's going to be a debate probably going into the game during the game is how much time does he feel the starters need and last year they lost Aaron Grimes in the second preseason game at home to the St. Peters and he was about four minutes away from being out of the game and he ended up ripping his ACL um, and he missed the entire season so there's always that concern you you don't want to see anyone get hurt but you don't want to see anyone uh, get a little rusty uh, either and you know, Chris Jones is struggling, I think, what to do with the team next week because after after Saturday, they're done, right? I mean, I, I don't think Chris Jones wants to run a whole set of practices, training camp practices next week, 
and, and decide his roster from that because, you know, he wants game situations. So, you know, for the starters, it's going to be very important for them to, I think, show well, especially on offense. And, you know, I don't think you want a situation like you saw in Calgary where Jake Mayer and the offense came out and they weren't very good and, and Dave Dickinson wasn't very happy about it. And you go, well, does it matter? And I'm like, well, it mattered to Dave Dickinson. So it, it has to matter. So, yeah, the starters are going to play, uh, I would say, at least a quarter, maybe maybe more. And I would think by halftime, you know, they're going to get pulled. But, uh, you know, it's a bit of a conundrum because, the you know, the Elks played eight days after camp open. And you, and you know that, you know, you had a three-day rookie camp and you're going into your first game, which is on the road. So you can play your youngsters and you're okay with that, right? Because they had enough time. But do, do, do your starters have enough time? And I... You know, they, there's been a lot of emphasis on reps to the starters this week in practice, and they've only had two practices this week because of the short week. So, yeah, I think there's an emphasis on making sure that they can get enough reps for their starting group to be satisfied and kind of get the rest knocked off and get a feel for the for the game speed because they don't play for another two weeks. And that's the nature of having a nine-team league where someone – has to get the quote-unquote preseason by Pre- preseason yeah. week A is one game long, and it was that one Monday, and then they play again. Uh, well, not till the last game of week one is Saskatchewan Edmonton. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this, Dave. What's the most compelling training camp battle for the Elks? The most compelling training camp battle, you know, I would have to say, the kicking game is definitely one of them. Um, but I think there's going to be a couple new players in that secondary and you, you have three veterans. You have Luches Purifoy, who's a safety. You have Ed Ganey and Aaron Grimes who have been playing corner in camp. I don't know if they're going to start the season at corner, but then you have uh, some battles with some new players uh, for a couple of, a uh, couple of spots. And, you know, they've been playing a lot of halfback. And the reason for it is because Chris Jones says, you know, when a new player comes up in the CFL, you put them on the corner, that's the easiest position because they're used to that down south. You put them inside, and they got to get used to the lag on the motion, and you really test them. So we've seen a lot of players, uh, you know, uh, step up. And, you know, uh, uh, Kyle Hemby has looked good. Uh, Marlo Sean Franklin has looked good. Um, Jordan Lucas, who played with the, with the Kansas City Chiefs, won a Super Bowl with them back in uh, 2020 as uh, 50 games experience. Uh, he hurt his hamstring early in camp and he's trying to get healthy. And, but when he played uh, out, you know, in the, in, in the sessions, he was really, really good. So I will look at the secondary because, you know, as much as we're talking about Cordelius and the offense and, and, and all of that, and they got a score points and they were the worst offense in the league. They were not very good on defense and you're a Chris Jones team. That means you pride yourself on the way you play defense and they finished dead last in 14 defensive categories. That's not good enough. And their secondary was not even close to being what it needed to be. So that's where I'm looking to see if this uh, secondary can kind of hold up, which is uh, an older secondary, but it looks like they're going to mix in a a couple of uh, of, uh, newer pieces in that secondary as well. So that's where I'm looking at. Appreciate your time tonight, Dave. Thanks for this, and have fun calling the game on Saturday. Thanks, Christian. Anytime. Uh, nice to be uh, nice to be on your show again. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Dave Campbell, radio analyst for 630 Ched in Edmonton, the voice of the Alex Morley. Scott is his partner, and uh, they'll have the call. We'll have, of course, the call here with Derek and Doug coming up Saturday afternoon. 